2020 vision is, seems to be on everybody's mind because of what's happening now. We're entering into that, what I didn't think we'd ever reach, is 2020. And uh, we were talking about a little bit of your issues and so on, Brother Jerry, and hearing uh, 10 years ago, that was, when the struggle was there. And uh, just going, kind of going through in my mind and looking at the vision for 2020. If you come to the meeting, you'll hear a little bit more about that tonight. Um, anybody can come to the meeting. We're going to meet right up over here to my left. And, uh, but I just wanted to kind of help you understand a little bit more concerning pastor's thoughts concerning vision. And I, I know that many times we uh, refer to a vision as something big. Um, where there are no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And some people take that out of context and talk about big things. I remember being on the reservation as a young preacher in school and dealing with some of the Native Americans there. And they had a man come to help us with the ministry there that said he had a vision of the casino being turned into a church and lots of people entering in. And I thought to myself, well, he's either had too much pizza uh, to be realistic with what he's dealing with, you ought to a little, you know, slow down a little bit and, and look out at the faces of the people that are already there and help strengthen God's people. Uh, sometimes we get this in our own mind, what we think ought to be. So really, I'm going to ask you a question. Is your vision for 2020, is God included in that? Is Jesus Christ included in your vision? When it comes to the vision... Uh, I see it here in the psalmist, and again, he is asking and requesting for so many things. The word deal in the first word here is dealing, uh, or explain a little further, he's talking about rewards, or reward bountifully with thy servant. I, I like that because he's actually showing his humility. He is a servant of the Lord, and he desires to serve the Lord. Um, there is a humility here. Deal bountiful with thy servant. Deal bountifully with thy servant, that I may live and keep thy word. Open mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And with that thought in mind, I thought it was interesting that he's actually requesting that his eyes would be opened. Now, we're looking at David and thinking, why would he ask? Don't you think he's already uh, has a heart for God? Don't you know that he's already a man after God's own heart? And so why is he asking for the Lord to open his eyes? If you look at the Hebrew in that particular verse, it's basically saying, reveal, uh, reveal unto me things out of your word. Um, I think Jeremiah requests this when he's talking about uh, how he ought to uh, seek the Lord and desire to, 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 to have great things uh, from his word. Um, ask unto me and I will show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. He's not talking about big buildings. He's talking about revelation from his word that we could actually see what the Bible is saying. Help me, uh, verse number 18, open mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And so when we're dealing with eyesight or we're dealing with vision, we're dealing with some things that have to deal with what God desires in our life and not what we think needs to happen. Uh, a lot of times we get in the way. 
But God used visions in the Old Testament. And he used visions a lot of times to be able to help people out. Now, sometimes people will come to me with dreams that they have, and they'll say, I had a vision or a dream. And uh, I have to be careful to discern, uh, is this a godly thing or is this an ungodly thing? Um, but in, it's interesting that God speaks of this in his word. In Job chapter 33, uh, Job talked about this, how God uses affliction and difficulties during hard times. If we were to turn over there to Job 33, we could read some verses here. Verse number 1 of 33 says, Wherefore, Job, I pray thee, hear my speeches and hearken unto all my words. And so we could read this passage, but to break it down a little bit, he's saying here um, uh, that there is going to be difficulties that come. Look at verse 4. It says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. And if thou canst answer me... Set thy words in order before me. Stand up. Behold, I am according to the wish uh, in God's stead. I also uh, am formed out of the clay. And so he had a right view of himself. Behold, my terror shall not make thee afraid, neither shall my hand be heavy upon thee. Surely thou hast spoken in mine hearing, and I have heard the voice of thy words, saying, I am clean Without transgression, I am innocent, neither is, is there any iniquity in me. Behold, he find occasion against me, he counts me for his enemy. And this is his viewpoint in Job. He puts my feet in stocks and he marks all my paths. But behold, in this thou art not just. I will answer thee that, thou got, that, that, that God is greater than man. And so he's basically agreeing with God, and he's saying no matter what happens to you and the difficulties that come in your life, we have to have the proper view of self, proper view of God, and to know that God is a sovereign God. And even though you can't see right now what he's doing, we need to trust him. He says in verse 13, Why dost thou strive against him? For he gives not account of any of his matters. In other words, there there is no need to argue with God. Maybe you're angry today about things that are going on within your own life. You feel like you've been robbed. God knows best. And you're not angry with people. You're angry with God. You're thinking that he gypped you. You're thinking that perhaps he he made a mistake. God makes no mistakes. Your warped vision has caused you to think that he has made a mistake and he hasn't. God is right on time doing that which is best. And the sooner you can say God's way is perfect, the better off you're going to be. The better way I'm going to, the better off I'm going to be. And this is the dilemma. Verse 14 says, For God speaks once, yea, twice, yet man perceives it not. In a dream or in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon man, he slumbers upon his bed. Then he opens his eyes and opens his, his ears of men and sealeth their instruction. So God is the one that opens their ears. God is the one that gives them instruction. And sometimes God did, did it in the Old Testament more so in these visions. Didn't a vision come to Joseph? You need to take Mary and get out of this place and go to Egypt where you're safe. He came to him and Tom exhibited that and Aaron exhibited that in, in the wonderful play that we were able to have here at the church that God's vision was there. But look what it says a little further, that he may withdraw man from his purpose or his work. And hide pride from man. Listen to these verses. Folks, listen. What God is saying in his word is that sometimes we have a warped vision and God wants to correct that vision. And sometimes difficulties come. 
And God wants to refocus you. And so if you're sitting in Indian style in a road someplace like Job was, with all of this dilemma on, upon him, God is reshaping his view of who he is. And God wants to reshape your vision of who he is. Amen? God has a desire for you to have the proper view of who he is, even as a young person. But look what he says. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from the perishing. God is, God is basically protecting you through the difficulties that you're having right now. I've often said to the men that that are in jail, I say, God could have eliminated you when you're on the outside. But somehow he brought you in here to be corrected. So listen to what he's doing. Verse number 19 says, He is chastened also with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pain. So that his life aboreth bread and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that he cannot be seen. And his bones that were, were, were not stick out. Yea, his soul draweth near unto the grave, and his life to the destroyers. Listen to what the Bible's saying. Verse 23. And if there be a messenger with him, an interpreter among a thousand, to show unto the man his uprightness, then he is gracious unto him, and says, Deliver him from the going down into the pit. I have found a ransom. I have found an atonement. And his flesh shall be, refresh, shall be refresher than the child's. He shall return to the days of his youth, and he shall pray unto God that he will be favorable unto him. And he shall see in his face with joy, for he, he will render unto his righteousness. He looks upon men, and if any say, I have sinned and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he will deliver his soul from the going down of the pit. And his life shall see light. Sometimes God even allows us to go through the difficult things so that we become a born-again believer. The Bible's saying that in the book of Job. You can't deny it. Sometimes God changes our vision so that we actually have a better understanding of who he is. And Job gives us that instruction. But you also see in Isaiah his vision. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He had also helped out with Ezekiel's vision. Ezekiel 1.4, And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, and a great cloud and a fire uh, enfolding itself, and, and a brightness was about it. And out of the midst thereof was the color of amber, and in the midst of the fire... It's interesting as we think about Daniel's vision and, and verse number 9 of Daniel 7, Behold, till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Danes did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like a fiery flame and his wheels as a burning fire. It's interesting that his disciples had a vision on the mount, of course, during that transfiguration. And it was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was as white as light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking unto them. There was a vision, of course, of John at the island of Patmos, and I returned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. There was also in Revelation 5, 6, there was a lamb in the midst of the throne. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. And it had been slain, 
having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth in the earth. In Revelation 19, verse number 11, the Bible talks about another vision. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and the righteousness he doth judge and make war. It is talking about Jesus Christ. And most of these visions that we read about in the Bible, they're focusing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you today in 2020, do you want to have a vision about what God wants to do do to you and for you in 2020? Then get a good vision of who he is. Get a good vision of what the scriptures say that Jesus Christ is like. I love the song. I think my wife has chosen it to be her most favorite. Be thou my vision. I love the words. For some reason, it came upon my, my heart and began to whistle it and sing it. I can't sing very well, as you all know. But let me tell you something. The words are so powerful. And maybe God was directing my vision to look to him. The Bible says that we ought to have him as our vision. Listen to the words of this song. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my vision, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, and I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and with thee one. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart, O King of glory, my treasure thou art. The last verse says, O King of glory, my victory won, rule and reign in me till thy will be done. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Open thy eyes. Open my eyes, Lord. This is what the psalmist is saying. Give me a good vision of who you are, but help me to see your word so I can plainly walk the kind of life you want me to walk, so I can be the kind of person you want me to become. I thought about this a little further because sometimes we have this idea that we can see. It's a figure of speech when you tell someone or you ask someone to open my eyes concerning this issue or my eyes were opened concerning this we, we who see, uh, and, and, uh, we see perhaps those things that are eternal have a better sight than those that see the temporal. But I was thinking a little further that this particular idea of us opening our eyes and opening the soul of our eyes really is a figure of spiritual discernment. That God would open mine eyes concerning what is absolutely necessary for his will. And so the prayer really implies a consciousness of his own dimness, of a spiritual vision. And maybe you have that today. Our Lord reproached the Pharisees, by the way, because they were blind. Did he not say, you blind guides? He talked to them and said that they were. Yet thought that they saw, they thought they saw with unusual clearness. They had an exaggerated opinion of who they really are. I remember when I was a little boy, I remember going camping with my mom and my dad, and we had a, we had a chance to go to Castle Rock, maybe you've been there before, and Petenwell, and that area was always fun to be in. And I was just a little guy, and I would take my bicycle along. 
My dad took a, an old bus and remodeled it and made it into a camper. Um, he sold it, uh, I think, for $600. We were living on Fair Oaks right across from a tavern at the time. And the guy that bought it took it over to the tavern and celebrated. And I thought, there's, there's our camper, a beautiful time of having fun. I, I was thinking about how that I was able to go along the, the rocks and find him. My dad would be down fishing not too far away from a uh, a little flow that goes from uh, the wadis would come in in the small little ponds and then go on into uh, Castle Rock Lake. And uh, there was a big culvert there. My dad would sit there and he'd fish. And I'd go find him and talk to him a little bit. And then I was heading back and I remember that there's all these rocks and, and I had this incredible ability to, to steady myself. I, I, could, I could run really fast on the rocks. And I thought, I have some skill that nobody else has. I must be part genius, man. And you know the truth of the matter was? Uh, the truth of the matter was I was probably below average with my balance. Uh, I'm going to physical therapy now, and so they're helping me a little bit more with my balance and helping me with some other issues that are going on. And uh, they're noticing that I can't even stand with my, my left side. Had The nerve endings were gone in 2007. I had a stroke, didn't really admit it, but I had it. And so I can't balance when I'm turning to my right. Uh, you'll see that I'm really good with my left. Um, they ask me to do exercises with my left, and man, I'm right on. They say, go to your right. I ask them, why don't you guys go do something while I do those, those exercises? Because it's embarrassing. You can't do what you used to could do, perhaps. And, and sometimes we have this exaggerated thinking that I see better than the average person. My vision is far better. Oh, don't be so blind. Because you got blind spots, too. And the Lord was rebuking the Pharisees and rebuked them. In fact, if you turn to John chapter 9, I'll be there in just a moment, but our Lord reproached the Pharisees because they were blind, and yet they thought they saw with unusual clearness. You say, we see, and therefore your sin remains. That's the words of our Lord. There is no prayer in a man who thinks he sees. There is no conscious want to find really any real purpose because he is still blind and thinking that he can make a better way for himself. It is not merely that the vision is distorted, perhaps, I think, by self-willed spirit. He can't see really the trueness behind what he needs to do. Is it that in the godly life, things seem uh, seen and temporal have the power, uh, perhaps, to dim and darken the vision? If we're not careful, when the things of this world say, come, it's a little brighter here because it's the worldliness. It'll help you. It's not necessarily true. I think it's important to understand, even if we have issues with drugs and alcohol, that sometimes people will say, this will make you much wiser. This will open your eyes. And some people believe that if they would take a certain drug, they could think better and think more clear. It's interesting as we look at this because there is one thing that helps us with our vision, and that is humility. We can see things a whole lot better when we humble our hearts before God. And I think it's interesting as we look at John chapter 9, look at the last verse if you would. When it comes to this whole idea of here in John chapter 9, I want you to look in verse number 41. It says, And Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. I remember 
a student from Maranatha coming to me and asking me what this verse meant. They were confused about the whole passage, really from verse 39 to verse number 41. Charles Spurgeon wrote this uh, interesting uh, concerning this particular passage. Let me read it to you. He says, In this unconsciousness lies the heart of the mischief. Helpless man is unconscious of his own helplessness. Because, we, because they say we see, therefore their sin remains. If they were blind and knew it, it were another matter. And their signs of hope would be visible. But to the blind and yet to, to boast of having superior, superior sight and to ridicule those who perhaps don't see is a lamentable condition of not a few. And they will not thank us for our pity, but much they need. Eyes have they, but they see not. And that they glory in their farsightedness. Multitudes around us are in this plight. And so when the prophet says, bring forth the blind people that have eyes, we can only wonder if he would say it today, would there be room to fill? There would be enough room to fill all of these people's needs. Let me just talk about a blind man for the next few minutes. Look at verse number one. I think it's interesting because this blind man whom the Lord Jesus Christ healed was for the reason for verses 39 through 41. But let me just, first of all, give you a little bit of an understanding of the condition of the blind man. Look at verse number one. And Jesus passed by and saw a blind man which was blind from his birth. So he's actually an individual who was blind, was born blind. He didn't come become blind later on. He, this is the way that he was born. This was the condition of the man. I think it's interesting if you look at verse number 8. And the neighbors, therefore, they said before, we had seen him that was blind. Is this not he that sat and begged? And so we know that he was also a beggar. And so the condition of the man was he was blind, he was born that way, and he was a beggar. He never really had the opportunity to see things as they really were. He didn't have that. He didn't know what his hand looked like. He didn't know what his home looked like. He didn't know what the people around him looked like. We have the chance and the opportunity to see you and what you look like. And if your hair is a little messed up, we see that. If maybe you're a little disheveled a little bit with, with things, we see that. But he didn't see that. He, see, he saw completely different. This was his condition. I think it's interesting that the Bible talks about the condition of the man, but it also talks about the curiosity of the disciples. Look in verse number 2. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God may be manifest or revealed in him. Pretty powerful statement. A strong desire to know, and to learn somebody's situation was their curiosity. What is their reason behind uh, someone's deformity? Looking a little further and saying that there are health conditions here, and so they were assuming that there was a problem here. It may not be because of any particular sin. And it, and it may not be because of any particular sin, uh, any person's sin, that somebody has a difficulty that they're going through. It may just be because God wants to glorify himself through that situation, whatever it may be. 
And so it was the case here. We saw the condition of the man. We see the curiosity of the disciples. But we all see the compassion of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 4. It says, I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is that day, the night comes, when no man can work, and as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is to be interpreted sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. And so the Lord, it's very, very, very clear here that the Lord decided to heal this man, went down and spit in the ground, took the clay, put the clay upon his eyes and told him to go wash his eyes. And there was this incredible obedience. But the compassion of Christ talks about works. He says here that he had compassion upon him and stopped and he was able to do the work. I think it's important to know that if you want true compassion, you will work. Not just work doing things, you'll be doing things for others. If you have true compassion, you will see the need that someone has and you will try to meet that need. You will try to help them. See, because it's not about what you see, it's who you see and why you see it. It's important that we understand that true compassion works. True compassion sees the need and meets the need as it did here. And Jesus stooped down and took some dirt and spit in it. And he began to take that and mix it together and put it on the eyes of this man that was blind. As we look a little further, we also see that not only the compassion of Jesus Christ, but the concern of the neighbors. The neighbors, therefore, and they which were before had seen him, that he was blind and said, is this not he that sat and begged, follow along with me. Look at verse number 9. And some said, this is he. And others said, well, he's like him. But he said, I am he. And therefore said they unto him, how are thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. And then said they unto him, Where is he? And he said, I know not. The concern of the neighbors came out in questions, Who did this to you? And how did he do it? And where is he? The neighbors, people around him, were concerned. Why were they concerned? Because I believe that they wanted to help him a little further, honestly and truly. But look what happens, because we see not only the concern of the neighbors, but also the criticism of the Pharisees. And this happens in every situation. There's always going to be the criticism. The concern of the neighbors is very clear. But now we see the criticism of the Pharisees. And look with me at verse number 13. And they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus came and made the clay and opened his eyes. And then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes and I washed and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Why was there a division among them? It's because some were blind and some could see. <laughs> Verse number 17, they say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him? And he opened thine eyes. And he said, he is a prophet. 
It's interesting as we look at this, verse number 18 says, But as the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. Pharisees are constantly involving with every little letter of the law. And the letter of the law is more important to them than the needs of others. And so it was with the Pharisees. They didn't even trust them. Who's, who did this to you? He tells them, and they, they don't believe. So now we see the confession of the parents. But I want you to look at verse 24 through 34, because this really is the critical part, too, and we need to, we need to cover this. And then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. Oh, really? That we know not this man is a sinner? And he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that... I was blind, but now I see. And then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened, how opened he thine eyes? And he, said unto, he answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? No, they're not going to hear it. No, because they have this view, and it's, it's, it's distorted. They really can't see. Their eyes aren't open. And this is the process of saying, why did God put this particular miracle in the Bible? So that we could understand. Look what it says. And he answered them, I have told you already, and you have not heard. You did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? And they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are of Moses' disciples. We believe the law. We know that God spake unto Moses as for his fellow, we know not from whence he is. And the man answered and said unto them, Why, why herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, he doeth his will, him he hears. And since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of that that was born blind? And if, and if this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Watch what happens. And they answered and said unto him, Thou wast also together born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. The Pharisees. The Pharisees say, Look, man, you were born in sin, you're blind, you're worthless. We're not going to believe you. We don't trust you. No, because they, had, they were blind to what, what was happening before them is that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, had come. There was forgiveness for every person, and the eyes could be opened spiritually, and we could see exactly what God was showing for us to do. So they have the confession of the parents in verses 19 through 23. We don't have time to cover it. Those are the conversion of the man. Look at the conversion of the man, verse 35. And Jesus heard that he had cast him out, and they, they had cast him out. And then he found him, and he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he said, who, who is the Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talks with thee. What a powerful thing to be able to say, We believe in the Son of God, do you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah? 
take people to this passage and show that Jesus actually says he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He is the answer. He is the one that can heal. He is the one that can open up your eyes when you become blind to the things of this world. It's interesting. And when you think about, I can't go anywhere. I don't know what to do. God will open your eyes if you ask him. And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him, and it is talked with, is he that talked with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe thee. And he worshipped him. Basically knelt right down and worshipped the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so why do I bring it to you? And here's the conviction. The conviction is this, verse number 39. And Jesus said, for judgment I am come into the world... They which see not might see. And they which see not might see. And they which see might be blind. Pretty powerful. What is he talking about? Verse 40 says this, And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said, Are we blind also? And you know what Jesus wanted to say? Absolutely. It's in the Hebrew. Jesus saith unto them, if you were blind, if you would just admit it, if you'd just be humble enough to say, I'm like everybody else and I really can't see. I'm no better on the rocks than they are. Have you ever come to that place and said, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I can't see. I am blind. Did you know what? The Lord wants you to come to that place in your life. You see, everybody in this world is born blind. Spiritually, nobody can see. The Pharisees thought that their clarity would come through the letter of the law. It doesn't come through the letter of the law. It doesn't come through organizations. It doesn't come through promptness. It doesn't come through discipline. It comes through the power of the Spirit of God. Open your eyes so that you can see. Have your eyes been opened? Maybe they've been just opened up recently. Praise God for that. You ought to thank him right now. Say, Lord, thank you so much for opening my eyes. I was once blind, but now I see. Prideful people can't see. No. Prideful people are always saying, this is the way it has to be. Because this is the way I see it. Well, the way you see it might be the way a blind person would see it. Look what he says. Jesus saith unto them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains in you. It's because of the Pharisees saying, we see, and Jesus is blind. Their sin still remains with them. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that as a little boy, somebody came to me and shared with me the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because my faith was so little at that time. Little enough to, to believe. And little faith gets you to heaven, of course. And much faith, of course, brings heaven to your soul. But you, if your eyes are open today and you can see, praise the Lord for that. But what's interesting is many people won't turn from their issues. They won't turn from their sin. Because their eyes are blind. Romans chapter 1 deals with the wickedness of man. 
But Romans chapter 2 deals with the wickedness of someone who thinks that their righteousness and their goodness and their talent and their ability is far greater and will get them to heaven. We must all come to that place of saying, Lord, here I am. Forgive me. Wash me. Open my eyes that I may see. Are you blind? Or can you see? Every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. I mean, this morning, if you're sitting here, you say, Pastor Howell, I need some help. The message was really clear to me today that my sin remains because I am still blind. And maybe this morning you'd say, would you please help me? I need to have my eyes opened. I need to believe there needs to be a conversion. There needs to be a time where I've been born from above. There needs to be a salvation in my life. And maybe this morning you just lift your hand and say, would you pray for me, Pastor? No one's looking around. I need Jesus Christ in my life. I believe that he is the Messiah. I trust him. And I give all and all to him. Is there anyone like that? Just raise up your hand and say, pray for me, Pastor. I need to accept Christ as my Savior. Then this message was for you, Christian. If you just take the time of standing right where you are, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, go ahead right where you are, stand if you would. We're going to have an invitation. If you need to come, you come. I'm going to pray, and if you want to come, the altar is open for you. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct in the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.